You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of the powerful PV cell software, and Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Solar Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the editor of One Step Off the Grid and Renew Economy and just for good measure, the Driven, our EV-focused website. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from uh, Solar Analytics. Nigel, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Giles. A little smoky. Hope everyone's okay out there, but uh, really good, really good. Yes, it is a bit smoky. We've um we've lost sight of Byron Bay again in the distance. It's um it's been covered by haze and mist, but at least we can see the valley in front of us, um, which was completely obscured for some days last week when the um, smoke got really bad. So um, um all good, all yes. good. It's um, mate, it's you've wild been to New Zealand. I have been. It is I, wild out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just, I, I, I thought of an anecdote, Nigel. I thought I've got to drop it in. Yeah. I've got to drop it in. Yeah, I was at the Malambibi Music Festival um, over the weekend, and it's look, it's a great little festival just in the local pubs and cafes and community halls and the high school and the bolo and stuff like that. Lots of surprising and really good quality musicians. And there was in the Malambibi Town Hall, um, you know, sort of um, uh, cast iron, um, um, iron roof, and the, the rain came tumbling down, and everyone just let out a cheer in the middle of this concert, and everyone just ran outside and danced in the rain, but um, <laughs> they're back in by the end of the, they were back in by the end of the song, because the rain, the, the damp already lasted about 90 seconds, but um, anyway, <laughs> um, that was my local story, it's got absolutely nothing to do with solar, but you've been to New Zealand, and back again, and um, it's all about solar. It's all, yeah, it was, it was really good, actually, small events, CNs, the sort of equivalent of the you know, SEA, if you like, down here in Australia. Um, a wonderful little event, though, you know, 120, 130-odd people, grown into quite a little um, quite a little show, um, good contingent of Aussies there, but um, really, really interesting to hear what was going on in the New Zealand market. You know, it's a it's about a 20-megawatt market per, per annum, that is. So it's a, it's a very small um, solar per annum. Market. It's about the size of the ACT. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> it's it's a tiny little market. But what's what's really interesting is that it's, there's no subsidies, right? So it's a completely organic, unsubsidized market. Firstly, and that's really interesting to see how people can you know forge ahead in a market without subsidies, and and they are. It's it's growing uh, slowly but steadily. Um, but the other thing that you know, bless those Kiwis. They are so bloody clever. And, you know, even though it's a tiny little market like that, all the discussions were about VPP, about PPAs, about some of the cool stuff they're doing in off-grid, uh, particularly around the Pacific Islands, which is, you know, serviced very heavily out of New Zealand. So, um, you know, more EV charging uh, stations um, than I think probably the total of Australia already in New Zealand. Uh, everywhere we, um, we walked around in the evening in Wellington, there were EV charging stations left, right and centre. Uh, and there was a lot of interest and some great examples of people doing very, very clever things. In fact, in some ways, one step ahead of us because they are, some of the installers were talking about, oh, when you get solar plus batteries plus smart hot water controls plus a smart EV controller all together, how do you manage all of that and how do you get the communications working effectively between all these different platforms? So, um, yeah, small but really creative, really, really progressive market. So, um Good fun. Good fun. 
Oh, good stuff. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Look, and just to sort of decipher some of the anagrams because I'm 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 on <laughs> I'm on anagram watch. <laughs> Sorry. VPP's virtual power plants, yes. which is um you know linking of all batteries into like a basically a virtual power station. Mm-hmm. Um you just kind of orchestrate them all through um you know um software and the internet and PPA are power purchase agreements too. So um, let that be a warning yes. to you and, and an explanation yes. too. Oh, some of our listeners who may not be um from the industry. <laughs> Oh, oh my God! He said. <laughs> um, and was, um, well, look, that's good to hear. Now it's, it's interesting um, what, what's what's happening over there. Um, I thought it was just as interesting to see some of the big reports that came out in Australia over the last week. Now, people might not have paid a huge attention to them. We did on Renew Economy because we thought these sort of things are pretty interesting anyway. Um, From the Australian Energy Market Operator, which puts out this really cool little quarterly dynamics, quarterly energy update, basically looking over the previous quarter. It comes about six weeks after the end of the quarter. And the Australian Energy Regulator... normally the most dynamic and interesting of organisations also put out one and they pretty much basically said the same thing. It was really interesting just the changes that are happening in the grid now with the amount of wind and solar and it just seems large scale wind and solar seems that we've reached like this um, you know we've, we, we've reached this share of renewables now which is um, which is really starting to have an impact and um, reshaping the grid it's lowering emissions, it's lowering prices particularly in those states which have embraced renewables really strongly like South Australia and Queensland. Um, there's been record output of large-scale wind, record output of solar, uh, record lows in the output of coal, which is great. But what was really interesting also for, for this audience was the um, the role of household solar. And that has done all sorts of different things, pushing midday demand down to record lows in South Australia and Western mm-hmm. Australia, um, down to lows in Queensland. We're seeing negative prices now in midday. Regular, regular um, negative prices. Uh, regularly right. in depth. Regular yeah, negative yeah. prices, yes, yeah. Well, no, um, eight point five percent of the time in South wow. Australia, five and a half percent of the time in Queensland. And get this: the average price of wholesale electricity in Queensland at midday over the September whole September quarter, the average price was four dollars and hmm. something, wow. pretty close to zero. That's down from fifty five dollars, and that's effectively rooftop solar, but also some of the large scale solar. Um, that's really having an impact. It's reducing operational demand. It's pushing, uh, creating that duck curve. That creates more opportunities for fast responding equipment, be VPPs, virtual power plants, fast start gas, battery storage, demand management, and all the other cluey little things. And a lot of those things are going to hang um, happen at distributed level. And um, uh, what was my other thing too? Yeah, no, it was really interesting, the AER just making the point that despite that we're at the fact that we're at 30% penetration for rooftop solar, which they've talked about for, uh, which we've talked about on several occasions, they made the point that the spending by networks um, that's required by networks um, to deal with this capacity is actually really, really small, much smaller than all the other spending that they've got to do. So that's a pretty important thing to remember. We keep on hearing from the naysayers and the conservatives that our rooftop solar is all great, yeah, but you know, it's how much we're spending on the networks to upgrades to facilitate it. Well, no, and I think I read much. something the other day from, I think it might have been someone from Osgrid who was saying that the penetration rates now of solar and the smarts that we've got built into solar now um, are, are, are actually, you know, delivering, they're, they're absolutely avoiding um, upgrades to networks 
works that they previously would have had to do. Um, likewise, we're seeing, you know, we saw the big announcement that you you told the story about uh, Alinta um, down in Victoria who was saying, yep, you know, clearly renewables are actually cheaper and we're going to need to shut down Luoyang A, I think it was, earlier than we originally projected for B, yeah, um, because it doesn't make sense and we can see it. Um, it's not a bad thing. It just means we're going to retire it earlier. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good thing. Now, Osgrid was interesting. They, they actually put out a tender for more rooftop solar and um, storage so they didn't have to spend more money on network augmentation. So mm -hmm. that was a really interesting one. And within the Osgrid area, a lot of it was sort of inner city, so they didn't have as high a rate of installation rooftop solar as other places, but they figured that there's probably a fair few commercial premises that could probably do with some. And the other interesting thing that happened was um, the virtual power plant. There's that VPP thing again. Um, the first one in South Australia put together by energy locals, mostly using Tesla batteries or maybe even exclusively Tesla batteries. But it's the first time it's actually entered into what's called the frequency and control ancillary services market. And you know, people paying attention to this might have noticed that the big battery at Hornsdale, the Tesla big battery, has gotten a big share of this and so have the other batteries that come onto the grid since then. So what was interesting here, this is the first time that household batteries have taken a share. It's the first trials and both AEMA and the South Australian Liberal Government, the state government, the Liberal Government were both boasting about the fact that this VPP, all these households incidentally installed in low-income housing in South Australia, actually intervened in the market to help keep the grid stable in Queensland by injecting frequency back into the thing when the biggest coal generator in Australia, the biggest single unit at Cogan Creek, it's also the most, most modern, suddenly tripped. So without that response, there could have been all sorts of havoc in, happening in the grid. But the VPP, the virtual power plant, from these batteries and low-income households, um, I keep on saying that because it's a fascinating story, helped out the Queensland people when the, when their biggest coal unit um, tripped, off the, uh, tripped off the network. So there you go. That and, is um, cool. Just one more thing to say about this. It is good. Just one more thing to say about this, that if we can develop these VPPs, these virtual power plants, what that means is that there's added revenue streams for batteries. And we've seen we've seen this in Victoria, we've seen this in South Australia. It's actually hard to shift these things. Victoria's offering a really generous incentive for the battery storage. And we've seen in the latest, um, you know, in the last two auctions that they've, they've held, you know, it's actually really, really hard to move. And one of the reasons is that if you crunch the numbers, then batteries just by themselves may not deliver enough, you know, return on investment just from plain old storing your energy and, you know, running the house off at night time. But if you can get extra revenue by playing in this FCAS market and these other things as part of virtual power plants, then that might actually tip the favour. It's back yep, to batteries. Yep, there you that, go. that is really. I mean, there are two things that are really cool. One is that you know this common this this demonstration across the board that we can actually we can actually reduce network costs. We're seeing the proof of that. We can bring forward the exit of coal. That's super cool. Um, we can um, and we and, and and you know as you say, low income householders who've been supported in getting batteries and solar are automatically without even without touching a knob or a dial or doing anything now have the technology in their home um, to, to help people on the other side of the country. I mean, that is amazing, right? That is so cool. And, you know, what all of this is, is um, doing is, you know, just adding more pieces to this puzzle um, that really just should be a mile wide by a mile long and on the lawn in front of uh, Parliament House saying, Wake up. Yes, wake up. Yes, talking about touching knobs. Yes, wake up. <laughs>
<laughs> Where are we going there? Where are we going there? You better hop in there with your news about the organic solar cell records. Yeah, yeah, technology records, technology records. There was a, I haven't seen a good technology record announcement for a while, and this one caught my eye. Um, uh, it's out of uh, confirmed by a Fraunhofer Institute, who um, are well known to everyone in the PV industry, uh, from um, the Future at the Energy campus from uh, Nuremberg. Uh, Nuremberg, I beg your pardon. Um, they, they've got a they've done a really interesting thing because we've we've all heard heard about organic solar cells, um, which is kind of a plastic cell using organic electronics. The major advantage being that you can sort of um, uh, add these elements to flexible plastics quite often is what's used. Um, organic polymers and organic molecules are combined together to get the same effect that we get from silicon, but with obviously without the need for silicon. Um, traditionally, they've really suffered from very, very low efficiency. There was a record set um, a year or so back uh, for a single cell, um, which could convert 17.2% of the light's energy, which is you know competitive with a very, very high-end um, solar module. Um, so that's a very, very cool record. But they have now, um, the guys um, from Fraunhofer confirmed they now have basically a module. They have 12 interconnected cells, uh, which were made in a megawatt-sized production line. So it's significant because it's more like uh, not just a single tiny cell in a lab, but actually something that is you know lending itself to mass production. And they achieved, um, um, I can't see it in my notes here, but from memory it was 13, about 13% efficiency, which is, again, a pretty good record. A little bit down on crystalline, but you get all the benefits of low cost and um, you don't need silicon and you've got flexibility and being able to apply it to all sorts of materials. So that's actually fairly big news um, in, in the solar cool. cell. Yeah, in the solar cell world, that's really cool. Yeah, cool. And um, some interesting stuff on batteries as well. DMV. Now, this battery. Oh, DMV. Yeah, this was really, really interesting to me. Um, so DNVL, DNVL um, are, are a sort of test house. They're kind of a bit like we've got the guys that um, ITP are running a big project doing battery reports that they release every so often down in Canberra. They've got a great lab set up. DNVL are doing a similar thing in the US. They've got about 500 batteries um, on test uh, and they just released their new report. And what was really, really interesting was it highlighted – some complexities um, that we're still really dealing with in this technology. So, for example, I'm going to run you through a couple of them, if that's all right, Giles. Um, for example, um, quite okay by me. <laughs> one of the things that they found in their latest batch of testing was that there's always this kind of assumption that, um, uh, like any battery, the shallower you discharge it, the less energy you try and pull out of that battery the longer the life is going to be and there's always kind of been this you know assumption that all batteries are going to behave the same and that's a general principle that we um, um, that we all sort of adhere to but what they are seeing now is some batteries that actually survive longer with deeper dis uh, depths of discharge so they're actually getting longer life out of them with deeper depths of discharge um, and they're also um, uh, getting different um, life expectancies depending on the swing so you know are they going from a, a small depth of discharge um, to a very large depth of discharge the other day for, uh, the next day for example so they're now starting to see some chemistries coming out some construction battery constructions coming out um, that are behaving differently 
The other one that uh, is sort of breaking um, a, a consistent rule that always applies in batteries is that lower C rates were always um, assumed to result in in longer life. The, the C rate effectively is how hard you're, um, how much current you're pushing in, how high that current rate is, um, or how high that current rate is when you're discharging the battery. So basically, working the battery a lot harder under charge and discharge scenarios. Um, uh, and it turns out that, as everyone expected, lower C rates will achieve more cycles, but not necessarily more throughput. And they're now seeing some batteries performing better at higher C rates, which is really cool, especially in the EV space or in spaces where you need to deliver large amounts of energy very, very quickly. For example, the Hornstyle uh, battery that you were talking about before. Um, in short, we've also seen some batteries in this test uh, which are now performing better at 40 degrees uh, C, uh, not at 25 degrees C. So we're starting to see some battery construction that actually prefers higher temperatures, which is going to be really good for climates uh, and countries like uh, Australia. Um, uh, so we're seeing that. And then uh, very lastly, um, there was another really cool little anecdote um, in this report, and, um, and that was around safety. And there were two um, things that um, uh, um, everyone should be aware of when it comes to, um, to batteries and looking for the safest battery. Number one is that according to their analysis, pack construction is the absolute key to um, safety when it comes to batteries. Uh, and this we have seen some examples of. So, you know, a really... Uh, the safest battery is not only about the chemistry, but it's about how those cells are packed into the case. And if they're packed in in a way that prevents one cell from propagating a fire to the next cell, and it sounds simple and logical, but it's actually pretty hard to do because you want them nice and dense, but that is one of the keys that they've identified to um, improving safety. So it's all about how those packs are built and how the cells are connected together and how you prevent them running away if there is a fire in one cell. And the other one, um, which I think is a really key thing for listeners, um, because it's a bit of a it's a bit counterintuitive, but they made the comment that the absolute key to uh, 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 handling a fire in a battery is tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of water, as much water as you can possibly pour on that battery. And most people would feel quite nervous doing that. Um, but one of the keys that they kind of very simply uh, explained was that when you pour water on a battery, um, what happens is all that heat and all that thermal runaway that's occurring inside the battery um, is released into steam. It converts the water into steam very, very rapidly and gets rid of that energy. And the more you core, cool the core of that battery down, the more the chances you're going to slow that propagation of the fire to other cells. So um, water, 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 and of course, ventilation, get the gas out of there. So um, well worth a look. It's up online if you want to um, uh, read through the details and, and see the range. So yeah, the long and the short of it is still a lot more progression and um, cool things being learned in, in all sorts of things about batteries. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure that's going to continue um, well into the future, both in terms of costs and duration, charge and 
what have you. Um, good stuff, mate. Look, um, just thought I'd take a, the opportunity to thank our sponsors, um, um, Solar Analytics, of course, and uh, PV Cell from Sunwiz. Thanks for your ongoing sponsorship. Check out their offerings, both of them very relevant to the industry, um, both in terms of monitoring and identifying opportunities. So um, Solar Analytics and PV Cell from Sunwiz. Um, Nigel, you've been on the road again and um, got another good person to um, you've had a chat to um, in the industry. Tell us who he is and let's int- introduce that segment. I did. I keep uh, getting out there and talking to lots and lots of interesting people about how they survived the solar coaster. And this week we hear from Paul Jones. Paul's the managing director at CSA. Um, their business does residential and commercial solar. So they're like a lot of solar businesses out there listening to the show, I'm assuming. Paul's been around for quite a while. He's been through the traps and had some really nice, simple lessons that uh, we can all take uh, a lesson from. Let's hear from Paul now. So welcome to Meter Solar Business. Uh, I'm here at the Smart Energy Council event in Brisbane and happen to bump into Paul Jones, Managing Director of CSA Services. Paul Jones's business is about supplying residential and commercial solar from three kilowatts to three megawatts. Um, and we're going to ask Paul some questions about what makes his business tick. Um, how are you, Paul? Good, thanks. <laughs> thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Um, Tell me, in the context of uh, CSA Services, how did you end up there? How did you end up where you are today with CSA Services as a solar business? Uh, I'm an electrician and electrical engineer by background. I've worked in all aspects of the industry right across Australia. And I was actually working for a very large consulting firm uh, when the GFC hit and got laid off. And I already had my license and a hobby business installing solar on caravans. So I took that one step further and went full-time into installing solar on residential. Right on. Great. It's, it's funny the way people end up in businesses. How long ago was that? Uh, 2007, I started the business, yep. went full-time in 2009. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, what's And right now, if we just jump, jump forward uh, to today, you know, what's the, what's the single biggest opportunity that you see for your business right now? What's, what's, what's taking up your uh, waking hours now? Uh, mainly pursuing commercial projects, um, batteries, we're doing a few trial sites for various organisations such as the University of Queensland doing a megawatt battery for them, um, so that's very cutting edge at the moment. Yep, yep, brilliant, brilliant um, and you know you may or may not want to answer this one but you know you're a survivor, You've been a bit, anyone who's been in the solar industry for more than five years is a survivor in my view, it's not easy out there, it's very very competitive. Um, what's the secret to your success in, in your business? A uh, lot of hard work from myself and my wife who run the business together, uh, being hands-on within the business and pursuing all our opportunities and uh, making sure we look after our customers so that we get repeat business. Right, right. There you go. Just business 101. Hard work. Um, uh, what's my next question? Here you go. So what's the best uh, investment decision you made for your business? Uh, early on in the piece, just uh, starting very early, getting employees to work for us and build the business so that we can um, work as a team and not spend too much time just as a sole trader. Right. Okay, so growing fast. Yeah? yeah? Okay, got it. Um, what lesson took you the longest to learn? Managing staff <laughs> uh, was always the hardest, still is the hardest part of the business. Um, yeah. We do have a fairly high turnover of staff because there's a lot of competing interests out there yep. um, from a lot of other industries that are taking up 
quality staff and just trying to manage new staff coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. challenge for everyone. Um, a similar question but slightly different. Um, e everyone makes mistakes in business. What's been your biggest single mistake? Not knowing our numbers well enough that we um, overextended ourselves and that's hurt our business at one stage and it's taken a while to grow back from that, yep. especially when the rebates dropped very suddenly right. and not being ready for it. Yeah, 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 I've heard that one before. Um, what, uh, just, just thinking a little bit philosophically, what did you think was true when you started this business that turned out not to be true? Uh, that business is always going to be easy. Um, it's, never, it's never easy. It takes a lot of work to yep. maintain this course, especially for this length of time, um, yep. and just keep working at it. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, if you could change one thing about the solar industry, what one thing would you change? The race to the bottom. Um, it's the biggest hurt to this industry that everyone wants to be the cheapest and keeps going to cheaper equi quality equipment, cheaper quality of installs and it's hurting everyone. Um, and if people just realised that they didn't have to win all the work and share it around and do it at a fair price, everyone would be far better off. Yep, yep, yep. That's uh, not news to our listeners, I'm sure. And last question for you. How, how do you think your business will look in five years' time? Uh, very different to what it is now. I think uh, we'll be focusing a lot more on batteries, electric vehicle chargers, um, probably less on the solar side of things. Uh, still be a mix of the industry but yeah a lot more variety in what we do right right uh, good on you mate enjoy the rest of your show thanks so much for your time thank you so that was paul jones from csa giles um I, I don't think i've heard an interview yet that we've done with any of these guys or girls uh for that matter that where we where i haven't learned something you know hearing this story about um what they're doing and amazed to hear that you know little company up in queensland doing megawatt battery stuff yeah, who would have thought? Um, just after we started this uh, program saying that batteries weren't being picked up, but um, there you go. It shows that in some areas they certainly are. And um, look, um, really interesting story. And um, up there, it's probably just about, um, or you know, more about re re you know, resilience than um, than trying to make a sort of commercial proposition out of it. But I guess that's sort of um, most of the same thing in the end, anyway. So, yeah, good stuff. Mm. Good to hear. And I look forward to hearing more of those interviews in um, in, in coming uh, in coming episodes. We got. I did some with the Kiwis while I was over in New Zealand, so we've got a few Kiwi ones coming up soon. Fantastic. We can put on Google Translate. <laughs> we can. You're in the mood today, aren't you? I'm in the mood today. I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood. Hey, um, let's leap on to um, a couple of people being very naughty out there. Yeah, crap solar. Um, we haven't actually had that. We've been sort of sticking with the good news lately, but um, it's worth mentioning that um, a couple of companies have been um, uh, suspended uh, from the approved solar retailer program, which affects mostly their um, mostly their Victorian business. Community Energy Group, uh, trading as Space Solar in Victoria, was suspended as a signatory on the 8th of October. You may have heard about that one already. And a second company recently had is its approved solar retailer status cancelled. That's Oz Suntech Energy. Um, certainly the Clean Energy Council through its approved solar retailer program and also the Victorian government uh, through its audit work around the rebate programs are, are taking 
um, you know, retailer behaviour really, really seriously. Um, and um, whilst you know we're not here to you know bag any company or suggest that anyone um, uh, should be should be um, you know tied to the whipping post, um, it is good to see programs keeping a high bar and making sure that um, you know if companies sign up to programs, they they need to meet the requirements of them. Absolutely, and it's really important that you know we keep the good quality because there's a lot of people out there doing really, really good jobs, and um, we don't want um, any people who are not performing um, becoming giving the the industry a um, a bad name. So um, yeah, I'm um, all in support of that, definitely. Hmm. Mate, it's true. Um, bit, bit of a wrap up on um, electric vehicles. I'm not too sure what you've got in electric vehicle world, but um, I'm actually pretty excited about the unveiling of the Tesla Ute. Uh, what the what Elon Musk and um, the people over in the states are calling the cyber truck because they call their Utes trucks. Um, so mm-hmm. um, so um, going to be pretty interesting because you know we did hear during the election campaign that um, you know electric Utes would be the end of the weekend for the Australian <laughs> uh, for the Australian tradie and what have you. And I reckon there's a bunch of solar installers out there who drive around in their Utes, and I reckon they're going to be pretty interested by the idea of an electric Ute, which has got so much more power than what they're. Exp- used to now um well know. funny you should say that because it just so happens there was a bunch of australian solar installers at the tesla gigafactory uh over the last week um Is there was a bit right? of a show on yeah there was a bit of a show on over there for dealers from around the world as i understand it tesla dealers and installers and uh a bunch of aussies were over there there was a lot of pictures flowing of various um various locations and various people gushing with um with enthusiasm and pride at being at the um at the tesla presentation uh one of our local uh, good guys andy uh, mccarthy from gibson solar actually gave a presentation on what it was like uh, doing solar in australia to uh, to the peers that he that he had in the room um and i spoke to a couple of people about what they were learning over there or what they were doing over there and um uh, one rather suspicious employee of Andy said, I think he was just over there to put down a deposit on a truck. He wants one of those new trucks. So who knows, mate? Uh, there might be a bunch of them coming down in support of some of the uh, the, the the Aussie guys because we've probably done as many Powerwall 1 and Powerwall 2 installs as, as any country in the world, I wouldn't mind guessing. So, um, yeah. Yeah, oh, look, I'm not too sure how how uh, how strong um, Tesla is and the freebies and things like that. From my understanding, from talking to them, <laughs> not employees, very. They have to pay for freight, so I'm not too yeah. sure there's going to be any sort of free cyber trucks going out to um, solar installers, no matter how well they've performed and <laughs> how many power walls and power packs they've actually installed. But um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see with the Utes coming out now because this is obviously a commercial vehicle, the sort of vehicle that is often leased. So people will be thinking of it in terms of, you know, four-year, five-year um, purchase price and operating price. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all adds up. And, well, you know, just the look of the damn thing, I think, is going to be really interesting to see on Friday. So um, that's the um, – for me, that's the most interesting um, news um, – on the EV front, mm. um, there's lots more. There's um, lots more little announcements. There's little announcements everywhere. There's been lots of bikes, new, new motorcycle, electric motorcycles being uh, being announced by various different players. Nothing, nothing really big, or you know. But there are plenty more small announcements coming out. I think it was Ford who announced a Mustang that uh, they're going to bring out. Uh, there's several more hypercars that are being announced. So we're, we're in this kind of 
in this place now where there's a lot of people kind of gearing up, it seems, and, and getting ready and just waiting for this next wave of, of, of even more models with even more functions. And, and of course, we've got our local guys who, you know, our local guys just took a, a, an order for 100 of their locally constructed utes, I believe, I saw somewhere. Um, so, yeah, we're, on the, we're on, the, on the beginning of a wave now of this next phase of fairly substantial growth in EVs, I reckon. Absolutely. Well, just looking at the last week, you've had VW talking about spending $100 billion on their uh, sort of switch to mobility. You've got BMW talking about doubling its sort of battery effectiveness as it's, you know, released the i4, which is its next sort of um, um, electric vehicle. You've got Ford releasing its first electric vehicle, a kind of um, version of the Mustang. Um, mm. A whole bunch of, um, yeah, look, a whole bunch of different things. And um, yet in Australia, we've got Kia, um, which sells its electric Nero, which apparently is a pretty good little car um, in New Zealand. And they've had it there for about six months, nine months, but not going to bring it to Australia because they're just too fed up with the damn government here and and what have you. So um, that sort of just yeah. shows that, you know, things happening around the world, but, geez, you know, you bang your head against the table Um um, here and, in and you know, if they, yeah, you're right. But but you know what, you know what gives me hope. Um, Top Gear is James May. Uh, I saw an article today uh, highlighting the fact that um, he, you know, and and Top Gear were renowned for bagging EVs for a long, long time. James May now has. Um, he has a BMW um, EV hybrid that he's had for some years. Uh, he has leased one of the, um, I think it was the Toyota hydrogen-powered vehicle. Uh, he's got one of those. Uh, and he's now added a Zero uh, SRF, the latest uh, bike out of uh, Zero from California, to his garage as well. And and he wrote a very, very interesting article where he talked about the fact that despite the dismay of everyone around him and the love that he has for vehicles, um, he has as he put it, an obligation to get in and test this technology and the deeper he gets involved in it, the more interesting it becomes to him and the more exciting it is because the vehicles are getting better and better and better. He's got a Model 3 as well. That's the other one I was trying to think of. So he's got a garage full of EVs now. And when James oh, well, May, he's got one of each. yeah, he's got one of each. When James May and the guys from Top Gear start getting into EVs, you know things are changing. Well, you'd hope so anyway. You'd hope so. You have said, Nigel, mate. Um, I think um, I think um, that probably is a bit of a wrap for for the day. I think the next stop is um, Sundowners drinks and uh, yeah, just under a fortnight in Sydney. Ah, oh, yeah, that's coming up, isn't it? The Christmas uh, be the Christmas Sundowners, I suspect. Is it could yeah. be the Christmas Sundowners. Yes, it could conflict with our podcast recording time. I don't know how we would possibly get around that, but we'll find a way somehow. Are you coming down? Are you coming down for that one? I think I am. I think I am. I'm oh. going to travel. Get my boots on. Being good. Being shoes on for the first time. Sorry. We apologise, listeners, but we've got this new recording device because our normal, normal recording platform didn't work this week, so we're on a new one, and um, we're just talking all over each other. So, sorry about that. Yeah, but um, yes, I'll be putting on a pair of shoes for the first time since August, I think. So, that's my news for the week. <laughs> Well, that'll be a great show just before Christmas. I look forward to seeing you at that, mate. And lots of listeners and too, hopefully. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, bring the T-shirts, Nigel. Yeah, Don't forget the T-shirts. I've got, I've got, 
Yeah, got it. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. And thanks again to uh, sponsors, Solar Analytics and a PV Cell from SunWiz. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight and hope to see you at Sundowners. And don't forget, don't forget, as Nigel says, please leave a review of the podcast on your favorite platform. Nigel, very briefly, how do they do that? Go to iTunes, search for Solar Insiders, scroll to the bottom, find a place to give us a star rating, a little review. Thank you. Beautiful. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by SunWiz, the creators of PV Cell Software, powerful technology for solar sales and design, with free high-definition rooftop imagery in every PV Cell plan. Retailers can stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar software. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.